We are beginning a new sermon series over the next number of weeks. Not sure how, how long exactly, but we will be going for a while. Called uh, Postcards from Paul. You know, we've been, over the last few weeks, looking at the Holy Spirit and the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, especially around this uh, birth of the church in the early chapters of Acts. Well, we're going to skip some chapters all the way to chapter 13, and we're going to, instead of just the birth of the church, now we're looking at the expansion of the church, the growth of the church, through, specifically, the greatest missionary in the history of the church, the Apostle Paul. And so, kind of thought as we do this, uh, you know, in the summer, a lot of times we go on vacation, we take off, we do fun things, and we send postcards, or at least we used to send postcards home. I think now you take a picture and you text it, and uh, it's kind of that way, or else you post it on Facebook or on Instagram. In fact, if you've been around recently or been on some of these social websites, you might have seen some of our staff who have been on trips and noticed what they're doing, some very unusual things our staff does. In fact, if you know Gus Peters, our director of tech, uh, tech here, he, you might not be surprised that, that Gus spent his summer vacation on the Starship Enterprise with uh, being beamed up. You see him there. Yeah, there's, there's Gus. He's on the beam machine, I guess. But not to be outdone, uh, our director of um, children's ministries and um, women's ministries, Lynn Pierce and her family, look where they went. There they are, on the moon. Yeah. I haven't seen Lynn back. I'm not sure if they left her there. Uh, so you, uh, yeah, they, they were on the moon. That's great. Uh, uh, but you know, our, our worship minister, Seth, and his wife, Hannah, had a baby, so they couldn't do that kind of trip. But they did have their annual party with the pontiff. There you go. So, yeah, they're having a lot of good fun. They're, they're, they're close. They're close there. Uh, you, some people have asked me what I do on my free time off. Here's a little picture of my vacation. So, yeah, I kind of like that form there, except I'm usually left foot first instead of right foot. But uh, yeah, oh, anyhow. And finally, uh, Pastor Tom and Esther Fowler, look what they did on their vacation. <laughs> right there between Marianne and Ginger, yeah. You know, we, mo- we noticed them missing for a few weeks, and uh, Tom said it was just supposed to be a three-hour tour, but... Uh, <laughs> So if, uh, but if Paul were to send us a postcard uh, for the beginning of his mission trips, uh, today we're looking at a greeting from Galatia. And so we look at maybe what Paul was thinking and maybe we can get an idea of Paul's heart through this series as he travels on his missionary journeys, bringing the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, to Asia Minor, to Europe, to Greece and eventually to Rome. So we'll take a look at that. But you might be wondering, well, where is Galatia? I got a little map here. Maybe this will help you out. In fact, this is the whole first trip. You can see it starts in Antioch. This is just north of Jerusalem in Syria. Uh, It's uh, now part of Lebanon. And they grab him and Barnabas, being um, commissioned by the church, grab a boat, and they head to Cyprus. They go across Cyprus, and they have some success in their ministry at Cyprus, but after a time of ministry, they get in the boat again, and they head to Perga, and that is part of Asia Minor, which is now today modern Turkey. And they land at at, um, Perga, and then they travel inland about a third way into Turkey to uh, the province of Galatia and to some cities within that province. You can see the first city, and where we are going to be today 
in Acts chapter 13 is the city of Antioch. It's another Antioch. Antioch Pisidia, it's called, because Pisidia is the region there, so that you know it's not Antioch, Syria. And then they would travel down to Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, and then they actually turn around and head back and revisit the churches. And then they board a boat and head back to Antioch. And so that, that would have been Paul. And if he was sending us some postcards, he might have included a few postcards for us. And the first one here is the main street that would have run east and west. It's the Cuminus Maximus. You can see the street there, and it's the ruins from it. And there was probably some of the shops that were on the, the sides, on each side of that. There also, he might have sent us a picture of the Cardus, Cardo Maximus, which would have been the main north and south road. Every, Jew, every Roman designed city would have had the Decuminus Maximus and the Cardo Maximus running east, west, north, and south. And that's how this, the city would have been built and structured. And, and you see here some shops. And, and the next one, the uh, Cardo, shops along the Cardo Maximus. You can see some of the um, shops that might have been there. When Paul was there, he might have stopped by one and and maybe even worked around there some. And then, um, I guess one more, let's look at the theater. Uh, here's a theater that would have been there and right, right along the Cardo Maximus. And um, that theater would sit between 15 and 12,000 12 and 15, people, even back in those days. Now, that would have only been about a fourth of the group that I was with last night at the U2 concert. But yes, <laughs> so if I collapse, you know, I'm a little tired, but no, that's all right. Um, it was great to be part of that. So, but it would have been a great time. As that theater was in operation during the time of, of Paul. And so Paul, this is a little bit of the historical background of him walking into Antioch, him and Barnabas, one day. And as would have been the habit, they would have gone into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And being visitors, they would have been invited to open up the scriptures and to read. And so we pick up the story. It's in Acts chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. It goes like this. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Now, you know that's, the, that's all the opening a preacher needs. <laughs> Do you want to talk? And so Paul, being the preacher he is, says here, standing up. Paul motioned with his hands and said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. And he begins the first recorded sermon we have of the Apostle Paul. And he starts the, a sermon much like the sermon that Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 and some of his other sermons in, in Acts and very similar to the sermon that Stephen preached in Acts chapter 7 just before he was stoned. And he starts off with rehearsing how God's providential hand had been over the people of Israel. From the time of Abraham down into Egypt, Moses, Joshua, and Samuel, Saul, David. And finally how from this lineage of David came this Savior, Jesus Christ. Always would get to Jesus Christ. And the centrality of this man who was crucified, who rose again. In fact, he would point out how the scriptures verified exactly what he was saying. He was saying it was prophesied and he could show the prophecies were true. 
He could say this man who was crucified and risen isn't just a wise tale. We have people who are witnesses. They saw him. They talked with him. And, and he was able to explain to them about Jesus. But at the end of the sermon, we see a little bit of a twist that you don't see from Peter and you don't see from Stephen. If you go back to Peter's sermon, especially in Acts chapter 2, when he gets to the end, he says, this Jesus who you killed. It's a pretty strong ending, isn't it? <laughs> you killed him. In fact, if you go and look at the words of Stephen, he says, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised murderers. No wonder he got martyred at that point. And so they were there among these people in Jerusalem, very strong in their language, saying, you killed him. You did not accept him. You have rejected Paul, speaking to a, a different group of people in a different place, has a different message at this point. He says this in verse 32. We tell you the good news. We tell you the good news. Folks, I have good news for you. This is a little different, isn't it, than you murderers? <laughs> Yeah, he says, no, 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 I have good news. And he says this, what God has promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are a son today. I have become your father. Hey, I've got good news. And then he goes on and he says this, God raised him from the dead so that he would never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends... My friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Paul says, folks, I have good news for you. It's good news. And he says this, you have forgiveness of your sins through Jesus. All the things that you have done. But you also have freedom from sin. From that nature, from, from that, that inside of that you that wants to rebel. He says, you can have freedom from that. But let me tell you something. Unlike what you may have heard, it's not going to come through following the laws of Moses. He's telling them that the law of Moses, and this is Paul, a keeper of the law in his background. The law of Moses is unable to free you. It can only condemn you. Your freedom will not come through the law. 
Luke, who's recording this for us, doesn't tell us that that day two or 3,000 came to the Lord. In fact, he finishes up his sermon. And in verse 42, Luke tells us this. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things the next Sabbath. It's always good when you get invited back, isn't it? (laughs) When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. If you read on, it says the next week, the next Sabbath, almost everybody in town showed up. And it's because Paul was proclaiming to them a message, I believe, that was very, very, very personal to him. And in fact, as you look at these last words of their encouragement to continue in the grace of God, you get a hint of where Paul's ministry is headed And as he travels through Asia Minor and he travels on his trips and then as as he starts to write back to these communities and these churches, you see a theme coming through Paul. A theme that says, I know what it's like to be one who thought the law could save me. I'm one who knows what it's like to carry this burden of having to perform to merit God's favor. I know what it's like. And in fact, I was, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was good. In fact, in one place, he says that my, my, I kept the law flawlessly. Flawlessly. And yet, that is not enough. And he stumbles on this word, although it's a word it really didn't stumble on, but was out there. It's this word Grace. He says, continue in the grace of God. The form of this word grace is in the Old Testament, but in the whole entire Old Testament, you see it less than 70 times. In the Gospels, even, you see it less than 15 times. In Paul's writings, his letters to the churches, You see grace or this form of it approximately 150 times. Again and again and again. Paul mentions it's not by works. It's not by anything I can do. It's not by anything you can do, but it is grace. In Ephesians 2.8 he says, For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. No one can boast. In Acts, before Paul comes on the scene... Grace is mentioned in this form about four times. After Paul, we see it another 12 times. Paul is the apostle of grace. And I believe it's because he experienced what it was to be carrying that heavy, heavy, heavy load of all his sin, of all his misdeeds, trying to do enough to earn his salvation again and again and again. But yet one day, Paul discovered grace, the unmerited favor of God, something you can't earn, something that's given to you freely. He says, 
continue in that grace. Unfortunately, it seems like it didn't take him very long to forget it. Have you ever had your world rocked by a new understanding of God? By, by maybe God has revealed himself through, through a message, through your reading of the word, through prayers, through maybe you listen to something, say, wow, that's, that's new. And that was Paul. Paul's world had been rocked. He said, I don't have to earn this anymore. I don't have to live under that. And you don't have to either. And they heard this message. And he says, continue in it. Not long later, when he writes back to the people in Galatia, he writes this in chapter 1, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And so we see this book of Galatians that was written to these people, and he's saying, I can't believe after knowing and understanding about the grace of God, the mercy of God, that you don't have to carry this burden around with you, this burden of trying to live up to the standards that he set. We can't do it. You carry that burden around forever, it's going to weigh you down. He said, you were free to that, and, but you, I told you to continue in it, but you didn't. You went back and you went back in. If you read the book of Galatians and read it through, it's, it's the book of Paul saying, you don't have to be Jewish to be a Christian. You don't have to follow those rules. You don't have to, you don't have to make yourself worthy. That's what Paul's writing about. And he does it again and again and again. Unmerited favor of God. You know, I like what one Bible scholar says, Donald Barnhouse, he says this, love that goes upward is worship. Love that goes outward is affection. Love that stoops is grace, is grace. God stooped for you and for me, and it's his grace. Jesus didn't really use the word grace, but he exhibited it. He exhibited it in the way he lived. Do you remember in John chapter 8, there was a, a woman brought to him caught in adultery. In the minds of those who brought him, she deserved to be stoned. Jesus stooped. Some conversation maybe, but wrote on the ground, and pretty soon he says, where are your accusers? She goes, they're gone. They're not here. And he says, I'm not accusing you either. Go and sin no more. Grace, grace reaching this situation. The story Jesus told, a good Samaritan, a father. His son had rejected him. His son had run away. His son had lived wildly, the Bible says. And yet the father is waiting for him to return. This father who has every right to be angry, father who has every right to be so upset with his son that he wouldn't take him back, gladly welcomes him. In fact, a book I've been reading recently called People of the Second Chance describes this about the father when he saw the elder son. It says this, he ran and ran and ran as fast as he could, a lovesick, dignity-shunning stampede of grace. Oh, I like that. Stampede of grace. That's how God comes to you and to me. 
but this elder son coming with a burden on his heart, a burden on his back. I was thinking of that burden this week and this, this message of grace and, and how it affects us and affects our lives. And I was thinking about a man, another man on a journey. It's a story that was told nearly 350 years ago by a man named John Bunyan. He was a, a man on a journey. He was living in the city of destruction. He'd read a book, and the book had told him that he was and his family were doomed. They were headed for punishment, eternal punishment. And because of that, he had this weight on his back, and he carried this burden, this, this pilgrim did. You may have read the book, Pilgrim's Progress. Classic, classic book. Pilgrim is walking, and he's got this burden on his back. And he says, I want to be free from it. He gets some advice from a man named Evangelist and says, go this way. Here's where you can be saved. And he starts heading that way. And he gets very close to that spot. And he comes to a house. And this house is a house of a man called Interpreter. An interpreter says, let me tell you a few things you need to know on your journey. If you want to get rid of your burden, a few things you need to know. And he says, I can explain them to you by taking him, you into some rooms in my house. And so he starts by taking him into a big room. And the book describes this big room as very dusty. In fact, it says it's never been swept. Can you imagine how dirty that must be? And so he walks in, and, and it's a dirty room. Interpreter looks at one of his servants. He says, would you sweep it, please? And this, this servant gets the broom, and he starts sweeping. And you know what you, when you go like this with the floor, it's got this much dust on it? You know what happens? <coughs> the room wasn't getting cleaned. It was getting Messier. In fact, it says it was starting to choke the pilgrim. Interpreter says to one of his maidens, says, would you take some, a basin, take some water, and spread it on the dust? And so she did that. She went and she spread the water on the dust. Then the book says that they were able to sweep and clean the room. Well, the pilgrim wasn't sure what this meant. So interpreter explains it to him. He says this, the sin, the, 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 the room is the heart of a man who has not experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. That room represents your heart if you have not experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. The dust represents your sin, your sins and your sin. And he says, the man with the broom represents the law. You know, the law will do no good in cleaning up the room. It just, <clears throat> it just reminds you that you've got a lot of sin. It gets it in your face, and it reveals to you that you're a sinner. And the water is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This settles that comes on our sin and allows it to be swept away. Hearing that, the pilgrim went on. We're told in the story that he comes through the gate 
He, he was told to travel. There's the cross. He goes up to the cross, and there's a grave at the foot of the cross. And when he gets to the cross, his burden falls off into the grave, never to be seen again. That's a great story. But it's only the beginning of the story. He has a lot of life to live, a lot of book to go yet. But soon after that, this pilgrim comes across another man. His name is Watchful. And Watchful says, what's your name? And he says this, my name is Christian now, but my name at first was Graceless. Graceless. Until we become to a point where we can say, Lord, allow your gospel to take away my sin, to, to, to enter into your presence through Jesus Christ, not through what I've done. Our name's graceless. We are not living in the grace. Paul says continue in the grace. Day by day, live in that grace. Are you living in the grace of Jesus Christ? Are we trying to earn our way? There's, there's some here that we, we're trying to do that and we'll never do it. You know, we say do good works and be involved in the church. Yes, do that. But don't expect that to get you right with Christ. Good works will not do that. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of God that comes gets us right with God. Paul summarizes it by this. I love this out of the message. He says this, all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death. And that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on and on, world without end. So if Paul were writing on the back of that postcard today, what would he write to us? Here's some thoughts. I think he'd say this. Hey, it's great to be back in Asia Minor. You know, he grew up in Tarsus, not too far from these cities. And he says, you know, there are some here that are open to the gospel. They're responding, but a lot of those are Gentiles. Some are being hostile, persecuting us, especially those Jewish leaders. Pray for us. And pray for these people that they can somehow grasp the amazing grace of Christ. The amazing grace of God who would send Christ. We sang that. This is amazing grace. Paul says, continue in it. Continue in it. Continue in it. Don't fall back. Don't think we can work ourselves into the good graces of God. No, he's invited you in. His grace is sufficient, Paul says. He says this to Timothy. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am worst. 
I think this is why this is such a passion for Paul. And as we go through these next few weeks, we've got to understand Paul's central theme of you can't earn it. Because I was so good, but yet I'm the worst of sinners. Would you stand with me this morning? You know, um, I don't know what you've experienced with God's grace. Is it real to you? Are you continuing in it? But I want you to know this morning, God's grace is real and it's for you. And if you want to come and the altar, if you want to just come talk with us, or you want to come and receive this grace, now's the time to do it. Now's the time to do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy and grace in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for doing something for us that we can't do on our own. And thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us through Paul and his letters, revealing the extent of your grace, the wideness of your grace. the freshness of your grace every day as we continue in it. Lord, go with us now. Let us to, help us to live in this grace. Help us not only just to be receivers of this grace, but deliverers of it, to givers. And Lord, help us to Live in it to the fullest, day by day, moment by moment. As you go this week, live out the grace of Christ. Live it in your life and live it in others. And as you come back the next few weeks, let's explore together this grace message that Paul's going to take around the world. And see what we learn about God. See what we learn about ourselves. And see how we can be part of this great transformation, not only just here, but around the world. God wants to use you, and he wants to use you and me and this church to reach the world with the message of grace, a message that this world needs terribly, terribly. You're dismissed. Go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and in his grace.